Sleeping on your feet like a horse. Hmm. Yeah. My mom used to sleep between my little. Let's This is Snails and Oysters. Hello and welcome to Snails and Oysters, the bi-weekly, bi-coastal, bisexual movie podcast. I'm Nat Roberts. And I'm Allie Rogers. It's a bi movie watch. <laughs> yes, bi movie watch. <laughs> it's been a while since we had one, but Deadline has it. Uh, Autostraddle has it. Uh, Academy Award winning actress Ariana DeBose, who just took home Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars for West Side Story, has announced she is going to star in a bisexual romantic comedy. Hell yeah. This is, this is, Hot off the presses. This is the freshest of news. The The only description we have so far is that it's going to be by my best friend's wedding, which I have not seen. But it is part of that like 90s halcyon era of romantic comedies that I grew up with. So I thoughts, Allie Rogers, your reaction. I am just really excited, really excited. And also the production company is the same company that is producing Abbott Elementary, Ooh. the sitcom by Quinta Brunson that I personally love and think is super funny. So I think that's just like a really good sign. It just seems like all the stars are aligning and we're going to have a great Bisexual rom-com in the in our future. Uh, something to look forward to. Something something very much to look forward to. An episode to look forward to, to be sure. I know, I know. It's like, I can't uh, wait for it to come out so we can do an episode. <laughs> it's so fun. I know, we we're kind of desperate for, for new movies to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just really fun because we do a lot of films in the past and it's really fun to do something that's more current. Absolutely. Yeah. But sometimes we do get to cu- talk about a film from the past that still feels very current. Like today's episode, Brokeback yes, Mountain. Yes, Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting even better at these segues, I think. <laughs> we we recorded this episode when you were out here in L.A. You came over to my place. My friend Michelle Shu, who we'll introduce later, came over to my place. We ate a big bowl of spaghetti. Yeah. Uh, your boyfriend locked himself out of the Airbnb. Yeah. But we yeah. did manage to record <laughs> yeah. this episode. Yeah, it was such a beautiful film. It was really fun to watch with you guys. I was actually still like working East Coast time, so it was super late for me. <laughs> but like it was so fun and I just felt so rejuvenated, like driving home thinking about that movie. Yeah. I, I had not seen it before either, as as we'll discuss in a minute, but I yeah, it's just it's a classic for a reason, you know. Also, it's your one pasta of those is great. Great oh, pasta. Well, thank you. <laughs> great cake. Great guest. I loved our guest. I yes, can't wait Michelle to have her back. Yes, fantastic. Definitely always welcome back on the show. Uh, so let's let's not waste any more time before we introduce her. Let's get into Brokeback Mountain. Hell yeah. Um, 
Brokeback Mountain is a 2005 romance directed by Ang Lee uh, and adapted from the 1997 short story of the same name by Annie Proulx. The film stars Heath Ledger as Ines Del Mar and Jake... Jake Gyllenhaal. I was gonna say Jack. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake, the accent permeates. Jake, Jake Jack Gyllenhaal. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as Jack Twist. Um, two cowboys who are brought together one summer on Brokeback Mountain to look over this flock of sheep. But then, while they're working on Brokeback Mountain, Jack and Ennis initiate a sexual and later a romantic relationship. Um, But after the summer ends, they part company and it seems like they may never see each other again. While the two go their separate ways, Ennis ends up getting married and having children. Uh, Jack also gets married and um, becomes really involved in his wife's family's uh, ranching. It's a ranching business. It's like a tractor business. It's like it's, a tractor it's farming, business. it's machinery, it's Texas, it's big hats. Yeah, it's big old hat. It's the big hat tractor business. And um, But they're reunited. Yeah, by, they're reunited. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> but by they're reunited with... <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> You're just too, you're too into this movie. I know. (laughs) But no, Jack tracks down Ennis' address and sends him a postcard and the two reconnect and almost immediately uh, rekindle their romantic relationship. The chemistry is there. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Um, But from there, the movie is sort of episodes throughout their relationship over the next 20 odd years. Over the next two decades, Ennis and Jack have really different ideas of how they want to be together. Mm -hmm. And the film really charts the way that that tension evolves with Jack really hoping that they can run off and be together and move back home with his parents and, and start their own ranch. And Ennis being really comfortable with that the fact that they only see each other a few times a year. On fishing trips. On fishing trips. And and also over this time, Ennis' relationship with his wife devolves. They get divorced. He becomes more and more of a loner. Their relationship comes to an abrupt end with Jack's sudden death. Uh, Ennis goes to various lengths to try to find some closure, contacting Jack's widow, uh, meeting Jack's parents. Um, and he's finally able to sort of accept himself and accept Jack into his home by bringing some souvenirs of their first time on Brokeback Mountain into his home. It's a really beautiful film about first love, about being closeted, uh, about masculinity um, and time. So, so many things. It's literally about so many things. I mean, it's it's an incredible, incredible yeah. movie. And you don't need us to tell you what happened on its release. It became an instant critical and box office sensation uh, after its debut at the Venice Film Festival. And to this day, it holds a very special place in the queer canon of cinema. And a special place in our hearts. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so let's get into it. Let's get into it. Don't forget. <laughs> 
allowed to do on my tampons. Uh, we'll leave that in the show. But it, it all comes out Nat as a monster behind the scenes. <laughs> so as we probably said at the top of the show, today's episode is a very special event. Not only is Allie here in Los Angeles, here in my apartment, recording with us <laughs> live in the Snails and Oysters studio, but we're also joined by a very special guest, a good friend of mine, TV writer, Michelle Shu. Michelle, yeah. welcome to Snails and Oysters. Thank you. Thank you. I'm super excited to be on your guys' show. We're so excited to have you. It's, as I say, I've been uh, hounding Michelle to get her to come on the show for months and months and Not months. Not convincing and months and months. needed. I yeah. was like, yes, immediately. Please. I had to bribe her. I had to offer her pasta and tomorrow and wine. That's a great cook. But she brought the most incredible cake. Oh my God. This chocolate mousse cake. Oh my God. Anyway, so, so this is all to give you the frame of reference that we are all speaking with our bellies full of both pasta, salad, cake, and liquor. So. And our hearts are full of heartbreak. <laughs> <laughs> so Let's. Oh my god, yeah. I left my heart on Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> I, I left my heart Did on we all? Yeah. I left my heart on Brokeback Mountain and all I got was this t-shirt. <laughs> so Michelle, when I uh, initially approached you about coming onto the show, I sent you the list of potential episodes we were considering, and if I recall correctly, you didn't even have an alternative. You were just like Brokeback Mountain. So do you want to talk about what's your personal history with this movie? Yeah, um I have sort of like a long and weird and twisty history with the movie but um yeah it came out in 2005 and I would have been in like fifth or sixth grade and I feel like even then it sort of made a big enough splash where like even as a kid I was like aware of film you know um and my earliest memory of the film I hadn't I didn't watch it when I was that age but I vividly remember there was a girl in my elementary school like sixth grade class that wrote I love gay cowboys on the back of her (laughs) in class and I was like I wonder what she's talking about you know and then of course like there was the movie and so um that was sort of like my first awareness of the movie um but yeah I watched it later on I think I must have been in like sort of like late high school slash um maybe even like the first few years of college but I remember watching it at a time when I hadn't come out as queer to like myself yet and I watched the movie and suddenly felt like like all of these sort of emotions that I didn't understand yeah <laughs> like watching the movie and like you know I grew up in the midwest um sort of this like white picket fancy suburban neighborhood um and it was not a super friendly place to be queer or a person of color (laughs) um but yeah like I I felt like watching that movie suddenly I'd like felt seen in a way that I never felt before um and so I feel like the film not only is it just like a beautiful movie but like also in a lot of ways like helped me find my own identity um and so yeah the film is just like been sort of extremely impactful on me in like so many ways and also um Ang Lee the director is Taiwanese so I felt like this like connection to him and like I love that I I, like read this quote where he was like yeah you know I'm I'm from Taiwan like I you know I don't I didn't grow up around like American culture or like cowboys but like really you know he set out to make a story about love and about like this relationship between two people and how like that feeling you get is universal Um, and so, yeah, it just, it like the movie really spoke to me in that way. And, um, and it's always just stuck with me. It's one of my favorite movies. I I would say he absolutely succeeded in that. Yeah. 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 Allie, now you and I, neither of us had actually seen this movie before. Uh, is that right? Yeah. I 
think maybe once I woke up on the couch when I was in middle school <laughs> and this was after it had come out and it was like on TV, mm-hmm. but yeah. I think the TV version obviously cuts a lot. a lot out. So I think I was just kind of like a little bored. <laughs> I don't know, but that could be just like a false memory. Yeah. But yeah. I never seen it. Um, and I'd been meaning to see it for a really long time and it is so beautiful. Wow. Yeah. I would say it, it reminds me of, uh, you know what they say about the Grand Canyon, that it's one of the few things in life that doesn't disappoint. Right, right, right. I, I feel that way about this movie because it's been built up for me for, for yeah. several years now. You know, it's been floating in the ether, part of our pop culture. Well, that's the thing. Even if you haven't seen it, like, I feel like you still, you know, that quote, I can't quit. I wish I knew how to quit you. Yeah. Yeah, and get the gist of it. Yeah. So it, it feels like one of those movies that you're like always like, oh, I need to see it, but I also feel like I've seen it already. Yeah. But it was definitely worth watching if there are any other people. Absolutely, yeah. The experience of actually seeing it is completely different than I expected. He's a little snack in this movie. Oh my god, everyone is. Everyone is. Everyone is. They're all beautiful. Yeah. Jack, yeah. Jack Twist, more like Jack Twink. <laughs> I cannot believe his name is Jack Twist. That is such a good name. <laughs> that is such a cowboy name. But yeah, I, I have to say, yeah, that's, that's the thing. I, I've seen a few Ang Lee movies now. Um, my favorite's probably Sense and Sensibility, just because I'm an Austin slut. Um, <laughs> but also, like, uh, I went back and watched some of his older stuff, like Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. Yeah. Um, and this feels really consistent with all of those, even though, mm-hmm. like, I, I, Michelle, you and I have spoken before about how Ang Lee has this wide, wide range yeah. of films that he's directed. Incredible Hulk. <laughs> Incredible Hulk is really? on the list. The Eric yep. Bana version that no one talks about. Um, I need to watch that one, honestly. I'm so curious. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's watching from the opening frames of this film, though, I felt like it, it had a lot of connective tissue with his adaptation of Sense and Sensibility mm-hmm. with Emma Thompson's script. Just this sort of... Um, he zooms in and like focuses on emotion a lot, yeah. you know, like, and like these these this this affection for nature that's mm-hmm. so readily apparent in in particular characters, but also in the the movement of the camera mm-hmm. and um, a, a very measured pace. Yeah, you know? there Never are some rushed. shots in there that yeah feel super languid and um, you know <laughs> like. He kind of directed this movie, like, right after he'd finished Hulk. And wow. apparently that was, like, a really sort of, like, taxing experience on him. Mm, I can imagine. And so, like, he often jokes about this movie is that he just kind of, like, set the camera down. And, like, <laughs> and, like, let the actors do their thing. But I do think that there's a lot of, like, really beautiful, like, camera work in this. Absolutely. And sort of the way they, like, capture all of the sweeping backgrounds. It's, like, it almost, it's thematically relevant, too, because it's, like, it feels lonely a lot of the time, yeah. but also there's this sort of like intimacy of like, they have this one mountain and this one area that they, um, the characters like really connected over. So. Yeah. Uh, where they can be more authentic in a state yeah. of nature, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's particularly relevant to Ennis's character mm-hmm. because his, his relationship with animals is so yeah. integral to understanding yeah. his character. I think like I, it's, it's interesting that it's, it's a very well executed through line, through line throughout the movie. Just the the fact that he feels so bonded to animals and can't be without them. Like there are mm-hmm. several moments where characters suggest moving into town, suggest that he get a job as something other than a ranch hand. He even tries working on a road crew, and it's it's mm-hmm. comedically yeah. ill suited to him. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of everything he that you see on Brokeback. He's sort of the definition of like rough around the edges. Exactly, He's just a guy who's like very like 
much thrives in nature. Yeah, like he, he's meant to be out with animals. Mm-hmm. He's meant to... to and it, it's interesting because in his scenes with people, he's so maladjusted. Like, I yes. think <laughs> yeah. that's really the only term for it. And it's really heartbreaking in a lot of scenes because it leads him to, to hurt so many people in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also get a sense of why. Like, I, I think that's the, that's the real key is like... It, it, I don't know. The movie never makes excuses for him, but it also right. never... He also never makes excuses for himself. Exactly, you know? yeah. Yeah, because he never says more than like, <laughs> <laughs> time. You can't do it. True, true. Allie, what did you think of Ennis? Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought he was just really well acted by Heath Ledger. I mean, I yeah. just thought... It's such a running joke throughout the film that he doesn't say much. Yeah. And yet, like, you really feel like you get a sense of who he is. He's also, like, a very physical character, you know? Very, like, yeah. the way he walks and, like, the way he sort of, like, moves in a room is, like, very physical. Like, he yeah. doesn't really need to say a ton. And, and the, the way his hat is, like, kind of always... He's always yeah. kind of looking up at people from under his hat or kind yeah. of hiding underneath it. Yeah. Um, and his jaw, like he holds his jaw and his tongue and his so mouth. tight. <laughs> yeah. His performance. Like I saw. Very pursed. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of those like uh, accent videos where they break down like movie accents yeah. and the guy, uh, the, uh, I think Wired uh, has the good ones. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Everybody knocks off any good YouTube series, yes. but Wired has the good ones. And the, the vocal coach they had was talking about how like Keith Ledger's vocal performance is so tense and tight mm. in this. Is, is he from Texas or Wyoming? He's he's the one from his Wyoming, character. Right? His character. Yes, Wyoming. Yeah, he's Australian. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, which makes it all the more impressive because it's a, it's an American accent, so it's not even the same continent that he's right, from. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But uh, for the Wyoming accent, he's so tight, so tense. It's mm-hmm. almost like Daniel Day Lewis in There Will Be Blood, where it's you sense this character he's like is chewing like a, his words. Exactly, he's like a rubber band wrapped around a pencil ready to snap you know well and that's where like all the anger comes from that's what I thought I was really surprised by the level of anger and violent outbursts that like Mm -hmm. come from his character but I also thought it was a really really good portrait of how anyone who is struggling with not living authentically in any way how that can just kind of backfire in all of these weird chaotic unexpected ways yeah and wow he can really punch yeah Yeah. (laughs) he was really love to punch yeah and i think maybe part of the reason is that like anger is often sort of like the easiest emotion to reach for when you feel uncomfortable you yeah know? especially in american culture and especially mm-hmm. for for uh straight presenting men yeah honestly we're, we're culturated to express anger it's the only emotion that we're allowed to have nuance within mm. you know everything else has to be as simple as possible but anger we can we can direct in all directions to all intensities it's it's what is portrayed for us mm-hmm and what's interesting is like there is that scene where his anger feels kind of righteous where he's telling those two dudes to oh the bikers at the fourth the bikers yeah to drop yeah. here like and he's kind of like sticking up for women and children and, yeah yeah you know and, defending but, hearth and home but right, it's, it's but also it's still kind of just it's too much you know yeah, you can yeah. tell that his wife is really uncomfortable and yeah I don't know I just mm-hmm. think it's interesting that we see it in this moment where you kind of can see him as the hero of that scene but then we see it in so many other moments where he's just the chaotic you know, villain, drunk guy throwing a punch because he wants to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Threatening people, threatening his wife. Yeah. Yeah, and then ultimately, I guess it really, like, climaxes with him threatening Jack. Yeah. He will kill him. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which was really sad and scary. And that was their last scene, you know? Like, that was the last time the characters ever saw each other. I think that's... that's, 
What's yeah? What's so surprising about this film is the way it leaves plots hanging. Yeah. For years at a time in universe and hours at a time in the film itself, yes. where it's mm-hmm. like uh, something as simple as the shirt. You know, such an important symbol, um, and it's mentioned. You know, we see the scene, obviously, their their last day on Brokeback, they get into this fight, they bloody each other, and the blood gets on their shirts. And uh, later, I think, as they're coming down the mountain, and it says something like, can't believe I left my shirt up there. Yes. Mm. And that's the last time we hear about it. And that's at minute 20, maybe, of the film. Mm -hmm. And then it does not, it is not mentioned, it does not come up until the end when he's in Jack's childhood bedroom and finds those two shirts that he's been saving all these Mm -hmm. years. And thanks to the blood, which is very smart prop design to make it that instantly recognizable, there's no moment of like flashing back to him saying that or explaining. We just remember. We get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah. And I think, I think violence is actually, I I was surprised. I had heard before, uh, I think in comparison to other queer films, I had heard, uh, people point out that the, the violence is a running theme in Brokeback to, mm. to a degree that's uncommon. Um, and I, but I was still surprised how violent so many scenes were in the movie. Right. Um, not, and, and, and I don't say that as a judgment thing. I think a lot of times people attach a value judgment to that sort mm-hmm. of comment, but, um, I don't know. Like, I, 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 I want to sort of open the question of violence in right. this film and see what you two think of it. Like, how it, plays into the plot, plays into the characters, plays into the themes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that violence is a running thread throughout the movie for sure. Um, But interestingly enough, like I don't necessarily think it's only directed at like the queer characters. Like I think that Mm. especially like Ennis's character, he's just like, he's kind of a wildebeest, you know, he's he's violent in all directions and also violent against himself in a lot of ways. Um, And I don't, I don't like, I mean, sort of the antithesis of that is like Jack, who we, we only see angry a couple times, but like, he seems sort of like the more tender of the two. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like, I don't know. I think there is something interesting there about like, there's like comments there about like masculinity and how violence is yeah. often associated with like being manly, yeah, you know? Absolutely. Um, and like in the scene, which we all laughed at when he, um, Jack is like having dinner with his father-in-law yeah. and he starts to slice the turkey and they get into this sort of like very subtle, like, you know, that struggle <laughs> TV for power. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Turning on and off the TV, who, who carves yeah. the turkey. He like finally wins by like expressing anger and violence yeah. and, and like threatening his father and, and threatening. And also like, in that scene, it we're like it's supposed to be like he's demonstrating his manliness. Yeah, you know? his his dominance as the paterfamilias, the head of the household. Right. right. Um, but yeah, it does it does feel like that scene is really interesting because it, it shows how that behavior is reaffirmed by American culture where he's rewarded for that outburst. Mm-hmm. His father-in-law mm-hmm. shuts up and sits Definitely. down. He gets to carve the turkey. His wife even smiles at him. Oh yeah. Bit. Yeah. Like his son, yeah. his son eats yeah. his dinner. And, and I think, I don't think that's by accident. I definitely think that's meant to illustrate how these behaviors get reinforced yes. and make a statement about like yeah. what that means. You know, exactly. What violence it, means. Yeah. Cause it spills over into to personal relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of mm-hmm. the theme of violence, I think yeah. uh, I would love to hear your guys' opinions as first time watchers of this movie, like what you made of that phone call scene and like what played in Ennis's head. Yeah. 
because yeah. there's a lot of debate about this movie of like whether or not the thing that Ennis saw in his head is like what actually happened or what he if, imagined happened. What he imagined happened. And there's also like sort of people who were left wondering after the movie, like, um, so there's a scene where Jack uh, is talking to Anna Ferris's husband, whose name I don't David remember Harbour. in the movie. Um, they're on the bench and the guy mentions like, oh, we have a, a house. Cabin, yeah. um, and there are rumors that like, oh, is it, was he the one who like outed oh, yeah. Jack's character? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess I'm curious to hear what you guys thought about that phone call. Allie, do you want to take that one first? Yeah, I... I, it's funny, like, uh, it's funny you're saying that there's, like, debate about it, yeah. because I feel like there's already been so much debate about it in my own head for the mm. ten minutes since we yeah. stopped watching the movie. Same, same. <laughs> and I think at this moment I've come down on, I think it's what really happened, and I'm convinced by that because of Anne Hathaway's performance mm. as Jack's yeah. wife. I just find her performance, there's such a, like, thread of just bitterness in the way she talks to him Mm -hmm. about Jack and like she's kind of really cold to him you know and it's like I just I just like that's me I really interpreted that as this is a woman who maybe for the first time found out that her husband was running out on her with other men and she's getting a call from this guy and she's just like yeah. really on autopilot so yeah but I also see the argument for it just being something yeah. in his head and I think it's interesting to view it that way I'll, I'll make the I'll make the argument I'll make the opposite argument partly because yeah. that's where I was mm-hmm. when you said that already but I, I think it's valuable to, to point counterpoint it totally. I, I definitely think the ambiguity is intentional yeah. obviously mm-hmm. I to argue for the interpretation that it's what's happening in his head I think it it would be very in character for Ennis to think that to assume that to mm-hmm. think yes because his first understanding of queerness was directly connected to queer people being murdered yes you know he tells the story about his father taking him to see the body of a man yep. and the description of the way that man is murdered is actually quite similar to what he imagines happening to Jack mm-hmm. or what did happen to Jack the idea of the tire iron yeah the idea of genital mutilation Mm-hmm. Um, you know he the he describes like you know this this old man who had been living with his partner for years being murdered in this brutal yeah. way and possibly his father doing it mm-hmm. and that also seems to be the primary reason that he never seriously considers having a ranch with Jack it's yeah. it's, it's yeah. literally fear of death there right. is something bittersweet though at the end that like in some ways he's sort of still made that come true you know like yeah. Jack is like in his home with him like yeah, yeah. Of, like, he is sad trailer yes. yeah. yeah yeah so I'll, I'll make the argument and and to Anne Hathaway's performance the way she s- describes Jack's death is so rote it, you get the sense that she's had to explain this already to people mm-hmm. or that it's a lie and that she's perpetuating it mm-hmm. but I think it's the the moment when she tells him about Jack's final wish to have, or not final wish, but his wish for his ashes to be spread on Brokeback Mountain. Mm-hmm. I think if she was truly angry or complicit, hmm. I don't know if she would have told him. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's true. Like that's a real, and her performance in that scene thaws ever so subtly. Hmm. Uh, she starts she, to tear up. Yeah. yeah, when she tells him about one, you know, Jack's wish to have his ashes on Brokeback. It's a moment. It's one of the few moments of human connection that you know that the the, the that Anne had uh, like not one of the few moments of human connection in the film, but one of the few moments of emotional connection between one of the main characters and someone else. Yes, because you you really see how their environment. St- 
starves them for affection, starves them for connection, starves them for love, mm-hmm. um, which is why their relationship is so meaningful. Yeah. And why the moments of connection between them and other people are, it's, are so rare and so impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because you just, you just, you understand so much of why they are yeah. the way they are just by seeing the environments that they live in, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Alma even like tries to sort of alleviate that a little bit by asking Ennis, like, can we move closer into town? Like that's one yeah. of the first conversations they have. And she's like, she says to him, like, you don't want our girls to grow up lonely like you, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. So I think like she was definitely starved of that attention yeah. um, and was like seeking that out, you yeah. know? And that makes sense given the, the life that she builds for herself after they divorce, like moving mm-hmm. moving into town, marrying her former supervisor, <laughs> yeah. who works at the grocery store and has an electric turkey like <laughs> knife. That is so funny to me. <laughs> um, so funny. But yeah, it's um, what what what's your interpretation of the of the what he sees? Yeah, I mean, I I'm inclined to think that like it's a bit of both. Hmm. Like I do think that. Jack was probably murdered and like mm. the person who like outed him was probably David Harper's yes. character. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I think that like the image that Ennis sees is in his head. Like there is a truth to the fact that like Jack was probably murdered, but like the way it happened is might not be, might not be what yeah. he imagined yeah. it to be. I think um, that's a valid interpretation. There's just like too many details to the way yeah. she describes his death. Yeah, you know, like yeah. when someone lies and they're like, "Oh, I was late because the, uh, yeah, the subway." Yeah. I mean, you guys wouldn't understand this. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> it was like the subway, and then this, and then that, and he's like, yeah. "Wait a second, choose." Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. and like, the way yeah. she describes it is just so graphic too. Like, yeah. she just there's yeah. Well, and the way that she so she describes it so much to account for an injury to his face. Yeah. Right, you know, which feels like... Very mm. specific. And it's a freak accident. Like also, it's, it's made yeah. me forever afraid of changing a tire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done and now will yeah. never do. <laughs> but then again, like, that is the sort of way people can die. Like, uh, actor William Holden died in a similar fashion where he... Changing a tire? No, well, that's the thing. He fell... And hit his head in his own home. Oh. But no one found him for so long, and he was unconscious that he um, exsanguinated before anyone found that's him. That's horrible. I know. But that's the thing. Like, I, I think that that You're does right, sort of speak to the yeah. freak accidents that can happen. I don't know. I think, again, the ambiguity is intentional. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely don't think either of you are wrong. Like, I, yeah. I, I'm not being like, no, I'm sure everybody no, no, in Texas was totally <laughs> cool that, you know, this guy was fucking other men. I'm sure that went over great uh, <laughs> if anyone found out, you know. I feel like something we also, like, need to talk about, too, mm-hmm. is, like, sort of the, like, economic disparities yes. between, like, Ennis's life and then Jack's life. Yeah. Like, I, upon, like, re-watching it, this was sort of, like, the first time I was really made conscious of, like, how different their lives became. Yeah. And how they sort of, like, diverged in sort of extremely different directions. Absolutely. That's the thing. I, I'm surprised by that, uh, too. Like, not not knowing that that was part of the film, but there mm-hmm. there is, like, a very insightful class analysis at play where yes. it's, like, mm-hmm. Ennis marries Alma, his high school sweetheart or something, something yeah. he already knew. But it is sort of like they're both poor. They're always, like, the, neither of them have much upward mobility. Yeah. Either. She kind of comes up later by marrying the supervisor, marrying the, and they have the a beautiful home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sort of super His daughter drives, like, some hot rod car. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, that, but then, yeah, Jack marries up into the bourgeoisie. Not even yeah. the petite bourgeoisie, like actual bourgeoisie capitalists. A man um, who sells big tractors. A man yeah. who sells big tractors. Nothing more Texan than that. <laughs> <laughs> and who treats him like the help right. for the first few years of his marriage. Um, but it does come into their relationship, too, because, like... Yeah. Ennis is, like, quitting jobs to go see Jack or, like, losing jobs because he's taking time off to see Jack. And Jack... But Jack is, like, frustrated because... He doesn't understand why. He's he doesn't... Like, yeah. yeah. He, he, he just has no conception of what uh, Ennis's life is like in terms of material conditions. Yeah, and, you know, Ennis kind of... You see, like... And they did a good job with the makeup, but, like, you sort of see the wear and tear on his face. Yeah. You know, yeah, the way they, they like... They, the way they, like, made him have these, like, weird sunburn cheeks yeah. and... Um, scarring. And scarring. And, and his, crow's feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, Jack doesn't really ever show, like, those signs yeah. of... just his facial hair changes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> his sideburns. Yeah. And mustache, yeah. yeah. Uh, what did you think of the, the class positioning, Allie? Yeah, I thought it was. I mean, it definitely added an element to their relationship that kind of enforced that, like, Jack was the dreamer. Yeah. And Ennis was the one who was almost too grounded and too aware Mm. of life's, like, hardships. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like, he's aware of the worst-case scenario of what could happen if they're discovered. Yeah. He's aware of so much more, like, the minuscule like realities of finances of day-to-day life and jack i think is trying his best to create this fantasy future for them where he's like we can both live in this ranch but it's like (laughs) even like just as an audience member thinking that through you're like Okay, so, no, no way. Yeah. so you're gonna divorce your wife, yeah, who is your rich wife, your <laughs> rich wife, your rich wife, who is now your main source of income. Move back to your family's ranch. Also, the the, yeah, the we glimpse s- we get of his family, it's like you want to be close to them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think something that is sweet about his family is that his mom, yes. interestingly enough, yeah. seems to. She's she's the type of mom that is like I love my son no matter what, yeah. despite the fact that it's very clear that like she lives in this sort of like puritanical austere, like, literally austere. all white house yes. let's let's get into his parents as a way of getting into Jack's character because yes. we talked quite a bit about Ennis I'd like to talk more about Jack and I think oh, sweet Jack sweet Jack sweet twist Jack. <laughs> um his family is actually really revealing. Like, I think that yes. I love when a character, you only really understand them at the end. Like, mm-hmm. there's a final puzzle piece that lands and you really get who they are all of a sudden. And I think Jack is a great example of that, where you don't understand where this push and pull comes from with him, where he he is gruff and masculine when he needs to be, but he has this, this real tenderness yes. and hopefulness to him, this real optimism. And then you meet his parents. And they are that personified. You know, his father is this, you know, almost grotesque figure sitting in his overalls at the end of the table in this purely whitewashed house, (laughs) spitting in his coffee cup and saying, like, weird shit under his breath. um, (laughs) Yeah, being like, he's got to be buried in the family plot. (laughs) But then his mother has such a strength to her and a tenderness as well. Like, she's this really... And she knows. You yeah. see it in her eyes you that see she knows. That she knows. Like when when Ennis enters with these two shirts yes. that have been hidden in her son's closet for how many years, she says nothing. She just gets a bag for him to take. Them. And but then she does say something, and she says, "I hope you come back. Yeah, I hope we see more of you, or something, along something the like that." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that those two characters create Jack. You know, you combine them, and you you do get this person who can code switch, who can play a part, but who has this sort of confidence fostered in him to be slightly more authentic because he had someone in his life early on saying it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think, Allie? 
I'm a little skeptical. I'm skeptical that she knows. I like that reading. I like feeling like that's true, but I can't help but feel like it was just kind of motherly tenderness, you know, and not necessarily like full knowledge and understanding. I think that more what I've got from that scene was just like an understanding of why he was a bit of a dreamer and a showman, this kind of rodeo guy, because he grew up in this home that was so austere and so harsh. It's like, what else are you going to do in an environment like that? But like dream about one day being a rodeo guy or doing anything else besides. And also we see his bedroom um, and he has like this chair by the window. The seat by the window. And and Ennis looks out the window to see what he was looking at. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't see. (laughs) I know. Yeah. I was hoping. I thought they might, but no. Yeah. And I think it also like, I I, I don't know. I think it, it could also explain why he's more social of the two. Um, mm-hmm. and, and this is actually going to get sad, but, uh, w- but like having an abusive parent, like his father lo- appears to be. Yeah. Appearances. Well, cause he says too, that his father was a rodeo guy and Who never shared any of his never secrets. Helped him. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, you learn to be really good with people mm-hmm. when you grow up in an environment mm-hmm. like that. You mm-hmm. learn to read people. You learn to read a room because it's a survival strategy. And I think that Jack really displays that where he survives. Yeah. Um, through sociability Hmm. you know whereas Ennis without any parents to speak of other than this one horrifying memory of his father and one very tender memory of his mother um, you know without any guidance never learned how to deal with people and I think that that really shows in his character too that he just doesn't know what to do with people like he doesn't know who to trust he doesn't know when to trust Mm. Um, but interestingly enough so many people still find him so charismatic, like yeah. enough so to like approach him. <laughs> well, like, Heath Ledger. Yes. <laughs> well, no, he's yeah. also like the ultimate unattainable <laughs> boyfriend or husband. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're constantly chasing his affection because he's actually just not that into you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or he just doesn't know how to show you that he is. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah like totally. in Jack's case. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Never was never taught how to express affection of any kind. Yeah, but there is like something playful about like his relationship with Jack. Like. Yeah. Whatever they are on the mountain, like that, those are the moments where, like, we really sort of see how playful and like fun yeah. he can be. <laughs> he makes these like little quips about Jack's harmonica. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's so funny how he really starts out as Jack's like uh, housewife in you know, <laughs> cooking like, the meals. Jack yeah. comes home after a four-hour the beans. Yeah, the beans. I'm tired of beans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cleaning the pots and pans. I right. thought that was so funny that yeah. like that was the. There is a certain gendered component to those scenes. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Brokeback Mountain. Let's talk about oh. the actual mountain itself and their scenes there both in the initial sheep drive and the later scenes because they go that's where they meet every time right yeah in view of brokeback mountain at Mm -hmm. least and Um, ennis never goes down to texas never goes down to texas can't say i blame him (laughs) (laughs) i've been a few times it sucks (laughs) people talk about austin austin has one good street (laughs) no i austin's actually a fine city i I don't and i haven't been yeah stop offending our thousands of austin i know i can't alienate the audience uh but no uh (laughs) um but yeah, so it like Brokeback Mountain and, and the characters themselves equate their relationship with Brokeback Mountain. They talk about Brokeback and Mountain. And the postcards. The postcards yeah. of the mountain, yeah. like this euphemism for their relationship. Speaking of euphemisms, mm-hmm. um, in Chinese, like the movie, so the movie is like 
guanbei, which is like broke. It means like broke back in Chinese, <laughs> and that's become shorthand like sort of slang for just like being gay. No, oh. yeah, yeah. Okay, that's um, so funny. Which is kind of great. That's awesome. <laughs> that's really that's great. That's great. I love that. I think I had heard something like that before. Yeah. That's awesome. I feel like that should be every movie title's goal. It's like to become a slang, slang for term. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, specifically for something queer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so broke back. Yes, broke back. That's the thing. It is like d- 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 let's talk about just the space, the environment. Like, what? How do you? How do you think right, it's portrayed? Right. Um, I mean, I don't like. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I feel like I don't know. Like, there's something majestic about like just yeah. being in a place where like it's so open and like. They, it, it's sort of touching back on sort of the idea of like Jack being such a dreamer and being able to think big where it's yeah. like when you're in such a like grand space you feel like anything is possible yeah know? yeah well and I feel like it, it has kind of like an Eden quality yeah like it's, yeah. it's so idyllic nature. it's idyllic it's lush and when they're together mm-hmm. they're apart from like all the things that would try to keep them apart yeah. mm-hmm. I actually I I I want to push back. I don't think it is idyllic because there's oh. so many emphasis. There's so, they have to survive. There's, well, there's so much emphasis on the the elemental forces they're up against, like the sleet, the snow, the hail, the hail the size of marbles that yeah. falls on them. It's brutal, but it's also but it is still an escape yeah. and it is still majestic. Yeah. But I think that 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 duality of brutality and beauty is really integral to their relationship too. Yeah. Because like yeah. the 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 way they're physical together is so violent at times you know yes. not just when they're fighting but when they are fucking it yeah. can be very brutal like the the first scene where they sleep together i almost thought like ennis was gonna punch jack before yeah. even initiating but then it turns into something else um and when they kiss the first time they see each other after they leave the mountain it really is like ennis grabs him and throws yeah. him against the wall and kisses him jake jellenhall said that like Heath almost broke his nose in that scene. <laughs> really? Kissed. Yeah. Oh my god. Wow. Yeah. But that's the thing, yeah. And I think that, that that speaks again to that sort of idea of unspoiled nature, a state of nature, uh, that they're retreating to when they go to Brokeback because yeah. they're they're more natural selves. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, but there is still even ominous, like almost signs yeah. there like the after the first night they sleep together Ennis finds a sheep that's been slaughtered by coyote yeah in part because he wasn't guarding them in part yeah. because he was down at the camp with jack and i think that that just sort of goes to show again the trauma yeah. these repeated traumatizations that he has especially in regard to his queerness mm, it, there are so many associations yeah. between his queerness and people getting hurt well and even just yeah people getting hurt but also just the idea of just like Consequences, like yeah. really scary, yeah. bloody consequences. Yeah, almost like divinely wrought justice in a fucked up. Well, Judeo yeah, especially sense. right, especially if you're like in a Christian environment. Yeah, and a sheep gets killed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also it's like they're the the way that they conduct their relationship has consequences to his family life you know he's away from his daughters he's lying to his his wife wife all the time and alma knows and alma knows knows from the start she sees them kiss which i didn't realize was gonna happen that was yeah that was such a a good move i think for the script and yeah it injects so much tension into their relationship even just like a dramatic irony for us as the viewer knowing that she knows and he doesn't know she knows yeah Yeah. and i don't even think he ever finds out that she knows 
Oh, no, well, yeah, right. I guess in the kitchen at scene. the Thanksgiving yeah. scene, yeah. yeah, which is a really rough scene. Yeah. Uh, let's let's talk about Ennis and Alma a little bit because this is why we're able to talk about not why we're able, but this is part of the reason that we're talking about this on a bisexual show is right. that. He does have a sexual relationship with his wife. It doesn't seem like he's... And Linda Cardellini's character. And Linda Cardellini's character, which... Who can blame him? Uh, (laughs) uh, We're all Linda Cardellini, so yes. Listen, this is a Linda Cardellini fan cast. Uh, We will not disrespect our queen in this house. Um, Anyway. Uh, But, uh, you know, it, it is like... It is clear that he has... I think it's clearer with Ennis than with Jack that he has a sexual yes. interest in both men and women. Yes. Um, and he has, like, the really sweet sort of, like, falling in love scenes with Alma where they, like, yeah. go sledding. Or, like, uh, right after they'd gotten married, there's, yeah, like, Yeah, the several, honeymoon period. Yes. There's yeah. And there's, like, very beautiful scenes. The drive-in movie. Yes. Yeah. And uh, they have a lot of, like, chemistry in there. And, yeah, like, and Keith and Michelle, like, got oh, married. Oh, yeah. Like, they, Wait, they were married? Oh, you guys didn't know this? They I had a kid. That. Yeah. Oh, they had a kid. That's so sad. I miss Heath. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the thing. And like, and the, and the scenes of the two of them being sexual are filmed in a way similar to Jack and Ennis yeah, being together. Yes. Where, I mean, Ennis certainly expresses himself the same way, which is to say <laughs> right. not at all. Yeah. He just sort of goes in. Um, but This is how the animals do it. <laughs> it is Heath, though. It is Heath, though. I'd let him. I'd let him do whatever oh he wanted to do. Um, I'd be a sheep in his yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it is it is interesting. The you sort want, of you wanted to talk about Ennis and Alma. Or yes, yes, yes. Thank you for okay, reminding yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> no, I no, I fully lost the thread. <laughs> I needed you to say one, that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like their dynamic. I think it is important to talk about it because yes, Ennis is our favorite. Like we all want yes. better things for Ennis. He is still a domestic abuser. Yeah. You know. Like he, at the very least, he threatens her. He yells at her in front of their kids. Yeah. Uh, I think the scene of like you know her walking out before serving dinner is a really good example. I mean, it's it's diff- it's a difficult conversation, but I think we have to acknowledge it. Otherwise, mm-hmm. like you know, we can't. We, I I think it would do a disservice to this movie and these characters and yeah. their performances not mm-hmm. to acknowledge that mm-hmm. these characters have a lot of different aspects right and also jack never treats his yeah never treats his wife like that yeah even though it's implied that he's more attracted to men than women like it it seems much harder on him than on ennis not to not to have their trips together like Mm -hmm. he's the one who seeks other lovers whereas ennis doesn't um but yeah and i i think it does go back to that theme of violence and the fact that ennis really is just acculturated to be violent Mm -hmm. um but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I just want to touch on it. I, I don't. We don't sure. have to go down a whole rabbit hole. Sure, I was just curious sure. to raise it and see what y'all thought. No, I mean, I I agree, and you know, it, I there is no like forgiving him really. Yeah. Um, it's hard to try and make excuses for like the things he does and says, especially yeah. to Alma, um, but yeah. also to Jack and like yeah. kind of to everyone in his life except for Linda Cardellini's character, who's yeah. just like. He just ghosts. ghosts yeah. He literally just ghosts. Yeah. Um, but also his daughter, Junior, He's I, that's one of the more tender relationships he yeah. has, one of the more like genuinely <laughs> emotional connections. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's still so strange. Yeah, like, so pilot. strange. Like, yeah. 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 But it's interesting that it, like from the start of his relationship with Alma, he's so gentle with the kids. Like he's, yeah. he's so attentive to them. Like the first scene we see of the kids is him walking in the door and going straight to their room to like and picking pick both them of them up. up. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
But and and it's I would say it's tied to his love for animals too, where it's like we yeah. see him treating sheep the same way, like it's very gentle and like worrying about them. And when Jack suggests they shoot one of the sheep, he's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> like he's just, he has this like gut reaction of no, yeah. they're yeah. ours. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that that duality is really interesting, and I think it's necessary to portray a character like Ennis in all of his multiple aspects, yeah. so that you understand that like how somebody is all of these things at once. Mm-hmm. Well, it just seems that it's really baked into his brain that yeah. like violence, if he can be the most violent one in a situation, like using threats or physically, then yeah. he can make, he can stop bad things from right. happening. Well, it's kind yeah. of a, it's like a wild animal reaction. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. fight or flight. Like yeah. you, either, you either run away, which he does from Jack. He runs away from Jack yeah. all the time. Um, he, or he, he fights. Yeah. Even in the scene with uh, Alma where he's, he threatens her, he walks out. Like yeah. he doesn't, he grabs her arm, he yells at her, he threatens her. And, and then he flees. Yeah. yeah. And I think it is like an animal feeling totally cornered because yeah. knowing that Alma knows, he suddenly has the threat later on with Jack. He says, do you ever feel like people are looking at you, people like in they, town? Yeah. And he suddenly realizes she could be telling her new husband, she could be telling her friends. He suddenly yeah. feels under threat. Yeah. Which doesn't justify it. No, 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 no. But it just plays into that animal reaction. Yeah. And it explains why he stays out of town. If he feels hunted when he's around people rather than, you know, feeling like connecting with them, it makes sense that he lives alone. He lives out in the country. He lives out in the trailer park because Mm -hmm. he doesn't want to be around people. He doesn't want anyone to find out or to, to watch him, to observe him. Yeah. 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 It is really sad. And it's, it is just sort of, how the cycle of violence perpetuates itself right. by isolating people, by, you know, making them accustomed to violence in their mm-hmm. lives and in, in intimate relationships. Like you definitely get the sense that the, the, again, the one memory he has of his dad is that his dad might've murdered a dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, and murdered a queer guy specifically. Yeah. yeah. And then took his kids out to see it. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Truly a wild thing to casually mention about yeah. your dad. <laughs> Wow, yeah. But yeah, going back to like Ennis and Alma, like there has been a lot of like discussion of like both Ennis and Jack's sexuality mm-hmm. and like right. lots of different interpretations. And um, Annie Proulx, like the author herself, has just said like people can sort of experience the characters any way they want to, which I think is yeah. the correct response yeah. as an author. Is sort of yeah. like, you know, I've written this thing, but now it's up to the audience to like interpret it through their own lenses and like interpret it in the ways that they will. And there's been like lots of different discussions about like, were they just both like closeted gay guys? Were they both bi? Was Ennis bi and Jack Jack gay? gay. Like there's been a, yeah. And there's been sort of like a lot of, like discourse surrounding that even even now even people have revisited this movie like 10 years later you know like and more (laughs) at this point um and sort of talked about like what and like reinterpreted their sexuality throughout the years as like sort of gay rights has like progressed and stuff um our cultural understanding of the the dimensionality and nuance of queerness marches forward out of of the nadir period of the 1980s (laughs) when so much knowledge was lost (laughs) um but yeah i guess i'm curious to hear your guys's you know thoughts on them absolutely yeah um ali do you want to go first 
Yeah, I I definitely see. I'm glad that the author has said. Yeah, yeah. I think can. that is the perfect response from an author. And Jake Gyllenhaal has a similar quote where he really? says, "Like I think this is a movie about love. Mm. Like I don't think it really matters." who swings which way to what who where everybody lands on the Kinsey scale right right. yeah and I think there's lots of kind of like textual evidence for different sexualities different labels but I I do think that this is really a story about a quote-unquote true love a more intense love between Jack and Innes yeah and that perhaps feels more intense because it is forbidden yeah and it is something that can they can only see each other uh, these few times over 20 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I I do think I personally interpreted him... Well, it's funny. At first, I interpreted him as the gayer one and Jack is the bi one because mm. because okay. Ennis specifically asks Jack are things normal between you and your wife right. that to me felt like an insecurity yeah. but then like as he continued to date I yeah I don't know I, I kind of just see them both as queer but both as just like deeply in love with each other in a yeah. way that even if they love other people in their lives it doesn't kind of live up to what they yeah, have. It, it doesn't compare. Mm-hmm. I feel the same way. I think it has like a soulmate vibe. I'm yeah. not like a big, yeah. like I'm not like a soulmate believer, but it does exist in film and it yeah. has yeah, 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 yeah. soulmate energy. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think queer is the only term that can be used because anything else just would hem them in too much. Yeah, like I, I think I, my philosophy on labels is that they are useful for people to self-apply. Yeah. as a lattice through which to understand our own identities. Yeah. Like I know I understand myself so much better since I started referring to myself as bi. Mm. But there may come a day where I don't need that term specifically. Yeah. I may just be, I'm queer or I'm me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I think that... Um, and then we will delete the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I still, I, I swing every which way. <laughs> so it still counts. Um but yeah, but for, for me, bisexual is a term that I still rely on, that I still like. But, you know, despite the premise of our show, mm. um, I don't think that that term exists unless you self-apply it. Yeah. I don't think that somebody is innately bisexual uh, unless they say they are. Mm-hmm. I think that really what our show is about is about duality and yeah. queerness. Mm-hmm. You know, people who are attracted to multiple gender expressions right. and what that means for them to not have a narrow lane to stick to. And yeah. I think this movie really taps into exactly what we're talking about throughout yeah. every episode of this show, which is who are we yeah. <laughs> really? And what does it mean that we, we love so many different types of people mm-hmm. and want to fuck them? Well, and then who are we when we are like in society and we're like, in? and then who are we when we are with people in a more like private space? Right. That, that yeah. comes up in so many episodes, portrait of a lady on fire, call me by your name, the idea of the public in the private space. Right. right. And the, the, the idea of the space removed from the world, broke back mountain, the villa, yeah. the, the mansion mm-hmm. in Brittany, you know, these, yeah. these spaces where we can recreate our own society. Yeah. Um, no, I, t- I totally agree with that. And I think like the idea of like that label is something that Ennis's character specifically like yeah. really hangs on to, like in terms of like, I'm not, he says, I'm and, not yeah, queer. he says in the, that he's the first one to say like, I'm not queer. And he yeah. says that like extremely explicitly. And yeah. I think that like, it's and early on, it's like in the first on. 30 minutes for sure. Yeah. It's in their first trip on Brokeback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that like the idea of like, 
hanging on to this like label of like, I am a straight man, you know, like really sort of is what he finds comfortable and safe. Yeah. And he says to, um, oh no, I just forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> no, no. Oh, I got it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and he says to Jack, you made me this way. Right. He yeah, kind yeah. of pins his entire yeah. identity to Jack alone. Like Jack's specific sexuality. Well, yeah, I am Jack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, like, yeah, he never has another relationship with yeah. a man. But Jack does. But Jack, Jack does, yeah. yeah. I, I take that sort of as... Both the soulmate vibes and also the the fact that Ennis has internalized homophobia yeah. so much more deeply than Jack has. Yeah, he's uh, got externalized homophobia. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now we're we're running short on time this evening. How are we doing? Uh, before we, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, before we head out, we do have our our traditional game of Mary Fuck Kill. Given this episode subject matter, let's do Mary Fuck Friend Zone. <laughs> yeah, but really quick, actually. Yeah, final thoughts about, before we do that. Yeah, is there anything we didn't talk about yes. or that you want to say that you feel like we didn't get to? No, I think we covered a ton. I mean, like, I could talk about this movie for hours, <laughs> yeah, days, so could I. onwards. Yeah. Um, but oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the best sort of queer films ever I think and it I sort agree. of it totally changed like queer cinema moving forward Absolutely. Um, into like, the present and yeah. yeah yeah I think it's an excellent I, movie I think part, partly that's the the critical reception I think it, it, it coincided with a, a growing acceptance of yes. queer people in the United States and so it was one of the I remember as a kid even though I didn't see it at the time it was one of the first times I remember hearing people talk about gayness in my yeah. day-to-day life. Mm, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, gayness rather than queerness in general, but still, baby yeah. steps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Allie, any final thoughts? Um, yeah, just that I think it's really nice to revisit it, because I do yeah. think that it coincided with a time where I think it made sense for people to really see it as, like, about two gay men. I right. think that was a really valid interpretation for, like, when it came yeah. out but it's nice to revisit it and just have a more I don't know open yeah. ones. but also uh, thinking about the beans and like we don't want beans <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I'll ever open a can of beans yeah. and not think about the we don't want no more beans <laughs> yeah, we don't want no more beans <laughs> I thought you didn't eat soup <laughs> uh, alright so now Mary fuck friend zone <laughs> Let's leave Jack and Ennis alone. They've been through so much. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, totally. Yeah. What? It, okay. Let me. I'm going to propose possibly the least broke back mountain trilogy. Okay. And we can pick something else if you don't want to. But what about the female love interests in this film? Because okay. there are three of them. Yes. We have Anne Hathaway as Jack's wife, Lorene, which is such a Texas name. Uh, we have uh, uh, Ennis' first wife, Alma. Well, his only wife, yes. Alma. And then Linda Cardellini's character, whose name I do not recall. Let's just call her Linda Cardellini. That's who she'll always Linder be. Linda Cardellini. <laughs> Cardellini. Um, does that sound good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Feel like a good yeah. Yes. Okay. I think we could do Mary Fuck Kill for these three. They're not. They're <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. yeah. Um, I think okay. the answer is easy for me. Please. Same. I think it's uh, Mary Alma fuck Linda Cardellini's character and then kill Lorene. Wow. Lorene is cold. She, she, she is icy. Is she is icy. Like, she, I mean, even Jack says she just sits there punching her numbers. <laughs> they can have a relationship through the phone. The phone, yeah, know? that is a really funny line. 
Uh, Allie, what's your pick? Okay, so mine also came instantly, but it's totally different. Yeah. I uh, would fuck Linda Cardellini. Uh-huh. I would marry Lorene because I love Lorene's little rodeo girl. <laughs> I think maybe she has some, you know, maybe there's some queerness there hiding underneath all the calculations. <laughs> she's just a horse girl. Well, yeah, she's she's got that business lesbian vibes in those later scenes. Right? Yeah, power lesbian. And then I would kill Alma, even though I know that's really mean. I just, I she, can't yeah. help but feel... She's the only one who's explicitly homophobic of the three. Like, she uh, calls Jack Jack nasty. Yeah, I just can't help but feel... I know it's not totally fair, because she has a hard life in the film. Totally. But I can't help but feel angry that she never... She only ever confronts him... When well, it's, after when it's, well, after their divorce. Well, after their divorce, when it's too late to have a real conversation, and when yeah. there's so much anger and bitterness built up, and yeah. shouldn't she marries her lay manager? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who uses a, a mechanic electric knife? <laughs> yeah. Not like a real man. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Allie's internalized. Oh I'm I'm internalized well, you're both wrong. <laughs> because what you do is marry Linda Cardellini's character because she's the most well-adjusted of the three. And it's Linda Cardellini. <laughs> it's Linda Cardellini. And she's so hot. She's so, like, she just she she's sees Ennis. Dancer. She's a good dancer. She sees Ennis, kicks off her shoes, and puts her feet in his lap. She knows what she's after. <laughs> she knows what she wants. She, yeah. Yes. Then you fuck Lorene because, I mean, you know, young Anne Hathaway in the rodeo getup is very attractive. <laughs> Yeah, but you do kill Alma because, again, she's the homophobe of the three. And, again, yeah. she's had a hard life. That's fair. But I respect you for me. I, yeah. <laughs> I think you, like... I, I, I don't... It's mostly a kill by default for me. <laughs> <laughs> As it always is. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us Thank you for Michelle. having me on. Thank you so we much. We hope yes. to rope you back in. <laughs> Happily. And thank you to my roommate, Sam Fisher, who has been here the entire time, quiet as a church mouse while we do this <laughs> dog and pony show. Truly. Sam, do you have anything to say to the folks at home? He shook his head no. <laughs> now he's flipping me off. We're going to record the credits later. Uh, take yeah. it away, future Nat and Allie. Uh, what a lazy asshole. Can't even record his own credits. Uh, <laughs> I guess we'll have to do it. Thank you for listening to Snails and Oysters, the bi-weekly, bi-coastal, bisexual movie podcast. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please consider liking, subscribing, following, however your chosen platform lets you interact. It really does help us out. Uh, and if you really, really like the show, maybe consider heading over to patreon.com slash snails oysters and becoming a patron. For $5 a month, you'll get one bonus episode per month where Allie and I talk about our favorite movies and you'll get uh, my movie reviews. I post just short little blurbs anytime I watch anything. I think the latest was the Mike Nichols movie Closer, which I did not like for very interesting reasons. <laughs> um, and thank you to Billy Libby, who did our wonderful theme music, really the bisexual lighting of theme music, and Abby <laughs> Austin, who did our really wonderful uh, podcast art. You can find both their social media handles in the description, along with Allie's, my own, and of course, Snails and Oysters is at Snails Oysters at, on Twitter. Feel free to shoot us a line if you uh, just enjoy the show, or you disagree with one of our Mary Fuck Kills, or you have an idea for a future episode. Um, if you see a news story about a bisexual, if a bisexual was rude to you in a bar, we want to hear about it. Yes, yes. <laughs> but until next time, I'm Matt Roberts. And I'm Allie Rogers. And thank you for, for being, being a bi-, bi ally. ally.